Welcome to Mentioned in Dispatches, the podcast on the Western Front Association, with me, Dr Tom Thorpe. The WFA is UK's largest Great War History Society. We are dedicated to furthering understanding of the First World War and have over 60 branches worldwide. For more information, visit our website at westernfrontassociation.com. It is the 16th of December 2019 and this is episode 141. This is the last episode of this year before our seasonal break. We return on the 6th of January 2020 with Dr Tony Haggis from the IWM talking about the Battle of the Somme film. Back to today's programme. On this episode, I talk to Diane Stevens, manager of the Huff Battery Museum, about the battery and its role in World War I. I spoke to Diane, who was at the battery in Hartlepool. Diane, welcome to the podcast. Could you start by telling us about yourself and how you became interested in the Great War? I'm the manager of the Youth Battery Museum and I first became interested in the First World War through the poetry and novels of, of the war. I'm a literature uh, graduate, so uh, yeah, so that was my gateway into the First World War. Now, before we start talking about the battery, I have an issue about how it is pronounced. Is it Hoff, Hugh or Huff or none of the above? Well, we say yuff, yuff right. with a Y, but really you can say it however you like. Depends from which part of the country that you come from. Um, we accept most things, but, but while we are here, we say yuff. Right, the yuff. Right? And do you know where that name comes from? It means um, a steep cliff or crag, so we are situated right on the edge of a headland, so it, it's a very apt name for the place. Which leads me to my next question, is where is the battery located? We are on the headland, the ancient headland of Hartlepool, which is the original town of Hartlepool. Um, we are adjacent to the lighthouse and near the, uh, the breakwater, for so the Yuff breakwater. Stunning views up and down the coast, uh, obviously being a coastal battery, um, we're right near the sea. Could you start by telling us about the history of the battery, when it was built and what was its purpose? Well, the battery, um, there's been a fortification here on the headland from way back. Um, we have a lot of ecclesiastical buildings on the headland as well that have been here for hundreds of years, so it has been a defended place. For, for many, many centuries. During the late 1700s, there was a real belief in the threat of the French invasion, so uh, things were stepped up. And the War Department um, took the land, uh, the War Department as it was then, uh, took the land in 1859, and as the Petit rent, um, there was an establishment of a permanent battery manned by militia here, um, where the Yuff now stands. The Yuff itself um, is linked with uh, Palmerston's Follies, uh, the whole group of fortifications built uh, during the reign of Victoria um, is a defence against, again, invasion from France uh, under Napoleon III. Now, obviously, we're interested in what the battery did in 1914 and the First World War. When we get to 1914, what is the status of the battery? How big was it? How many crew did it have? And how was it manned and staffed at that time? Well, the unit that was here in 1914 was Number 4 Company Durham Royal Garrison Artillery. Uh, It was a territorial force. Um, it had 11 officers and 155 men, and we belong to a, the heavy branch of the Royal Artillery, which uh, overarches the coastal artillery for, uh, defence forces. So the, the, the Yuff battery uh, consisted of two 6-inch uh, Mark Seven breech-loading guns, breech-loading uh, with silk cloth bags, not brass cartridge cases, as um, are quite often um, sort of associated with the First World War. And these were, these were silk cloth uh, bags that 
provided the um, the charge. The other battery that was under control um, during the the, um, the bombardment was the lighthouse battery, which is uh, adjacent to us. And again, they were uh, armed with another six-inch Mark Seven gun over there as well. So what was the role of the battery in the defence of Hartlepool during the German naval bombardment of the town on the 16th of December 1914? Well, the main role of any coastal defence battery is to sink aggressing ship to protect its port or the defended area that, that it's, it's protecting. The German ships uh, that came to uh, bombard Hartlepool um, had very thick um, belt armour um, below and on their waterline, so um, our guns were firing... Um, armour-piercing shells at them, six-inch armour-piercing shells, um, but they were not powerful enough um, to really even penetrate the thickness of of the defence on the ships. So we switched to high explosives um, and were trying to concentrate on the upper decks of the ships so that we could cause a lot of damage to them. Um, The battery, uh, the the Yuff battery, uh, reported 108 rounds returned against the ships um, and the lighthouse battery adjacent to us another 15 rounds. So uh, in in the 50 minutes during the bombardment of the Hartlepools, 1,200 shells came from those ships onto the town, um, killing um, a lot of civilians, over 130 civilians were killed during that time. Um, but the, the role of the, of the battery was to really to repel that attack. The Germans bombard Hartlepool on the 16th of December 1914. How many ships were involved and why did they bombard a civilian target? Uh, well, we weren't a civilian target. I mean, um, what they were bombarding was was a military defensive position uh, with the Yuff battery and the Lighthouse battery adjacent to us. Um, you've got to remember, um, in 1914, there was a lot of... Um, industry here around Hartlepool. We had the Teesport to protect as well. So three German ships, the Blücher, the Sedlitz and the Malka, uh, all came and uh, turned broadsides against us at ten past eight in the morning um, and began shelling. Uh, also on the same day, Scarborough and Whitby were also attacked by German ships. So it was it was a full northeast coastal attack of which Hartlepool was part. Was the battery actually hit during the German bombardment? Um, it hit um, the lead boat, the the Blucher. Um, she uh, lost uh, some guns and nine sailors aboard were killed uh, aboard the Blucher and um, she lost hydraulics for a while so she was sitting in the water and had to disengage quite quickly when she got back underway. So um, we, we, you know, we did do some damage um, but it really was just to repel the, the boats. We, we were as a, as a pea shooter against a cannon. And did the battery itself sustain damage from the German ships? A little, not very much. Um, the, the battery itself was quite well protected. Um, we had a false horizon, which made the, the guns of the ship not quite accurate on target. Um, and we have a, a large grassy bank that runs uh, up the front of the battery. And a lot of the shells, because they were coming at us horizontally, failed to, um, to go off and, and actually skidded up over the top of this grassy bank and, and, and into um, the fields and stuff behind the battery itself. So, so not very much damage, although um, there were some soldiers killed. Um, Theophilus Jones carries the, the, the honour, if you like, of being um, the first soldier killed on British soil during the First World War. 
um, you know, we, we hadn't had any soldiers killed on British soil since um, 1600s during the Civil War. So did any of the defenders of the battery receive uh, decorations for their gallantry during the action? Yes, um, Sergeant Dalthway, who was manning the gun uh, across at the lighthouse battery, he won a Distinguished Conduct Medal. Um, the um, the gun itself had jammed. Um, some there was an electrical fault with the gun, and there was a shell stuck inside the barrel of the gun. All training um, would suggest that you know the the, the barrel and, and the shell should be left until everything was cooled down and then removed. Um, but we were under fire, and Sergeant Douthwaite um, told his men to go to safety, and he actually um, removed the shell from the gun um, during the bombardment so that the gun could get back underway again straight away, so uh, he won a Distinguished Conduct Medal for that. Um, the first two military medals ever to be struck were um, given to, to acting bombardiers Hope and Mallon, um, who, who were here during the bombardment, um, and of course um, the commanding officer, uh, Colonel Robson, was also um, given the medal, as, as they normally are. Which is strange because the the, uh, the two men, Captain uh, Captain Trekman and his brother, who were actually more in control of what was actually going on during the bombardment, um, were left unrewarded um, due to their German-sounding name. And did they recover any of these German artillery rounds that failed to detonate? Yes, uh, there are some uh, fantastic pictures you can find online of British soldiers lined <laughs> with their lined-up uh, unexploded bombs, <laughs> which must have been a great uh, a great thing to do uh, to stand pausing for photographs with unexploded shells. And what did the battery go on to do during the rest of the war? Well, the rest of the war uh, was quite quiet after all of that that excitement. So uh, for the remainder of the war, um, the battery really just uh, continued to provide a defence but never fired its guns in anger again. It became a training establishment for the Royal Garrison Artillery Gunners um, destined to go out uh, to the front abroad in in France, Belgium and and other parts of the world. Um, so it really didn't change very much. They did put up a large wooden structure um, for observation and as, as a war port signal station during the, the First World War, but um, really after the, after the bombardment, um, the battery wasn't really used um, in anger ever again. Now, as we record today, it is the 105th anniversary of the naval bombardment of Hartlepool, and I understand that you've been commemorating that uh, event today. What role does the battery play in that ceremony? We've taken on the role of organising um, the commemoration uh, every year, uh, over the past few years, um, we just feel it is really important to, to commemorate the bombardment and the loss of life, both military and civil. Um, we've got to remember that there were a lot of civilians killed during the bombardment, um, and we always um, make sure that the the event is held during the time that the bombardment was actually happening. So from 10 past 8 in the morning on the 16th of December, you will find us um, we fire our 25-pounder gun, we have a two-minute silence, and um, we read out the names of 37 children that were killed and the and servicemen that were killed during the bombardment as part of that ceremony, um, just as a mark of respect. And is there a memorial at the battery? Um, not at the battery. There's a very um, there's a lovely memorial um, that was put up uh, on the 100th anniversary of the bombardment, um, which is adjacent uh, to us at the lighthouse. The lighthouse battery um, has never been 
excavated and so uh, the, the the monument to the, the bombardment stands on top of the unexcavated battery at the lighthouse. Now in episode 129 of the podcast I spoke to Par Sundström from the Swedish heavy metal band Sabaton. I understand they did some fundraising work for you. For you. Can you tell me about that and, and what sort of impact it had? Well such a surprise to be um, contacted by um, Sabaton. Uh, we had been very close to closing the museum. Um, we were um, very short of uh, money and visitor numbers had been down and we were really just um, trying to fundraise. We put out a, a just giving um, appeal and um, someone from uh, the team at uh, Sabaton had seen it and uh, contacted us and said, uh, we noticed that you are £2,500 short of your um appeal target and um, can we help you and uh, and we said uh, yes please so they put out a t-shirt um, which was based on our logo um, and they in three days raised over four thousand pounds for us which was a phenomenal amount and from such a, a, a sort of strange um, place to, to for it to come from um, you know, we were just so grateful that, that they'd seen us and looked into to what we were doing and, and felt able to help. I must admit, I have purchased one of those T-shirts and I do wear it around the house, much to the, um, should we say, the disappointment of my wife. I got one too and I, I ran the Great North Run in it this year um, to try and help to raise a little bit more money towards the battery. So uh, the, the help that the T-shirts uh, just keeps going on and on and on. It's a gift that keeps on giving. Well, and it brings us to the battery today. Now, what is at the battery? And what can people see? Well, we have um, a reconstruction of a, a, a 1915 uh, trench, a British trench here. We have obviously the battery itself. Um, you can see the battery command post where uh, Colonel Robson would have been giving commands. Um, you can see the gun emplacements and a replica gun um, from what would have been here during the, the bombardment. Um, we have an armory where people can come in and uh, hold decommissioned rifles and, and look at uniforms and uh, lots of different ephemera that uh, people would have been using during the First and Second World War. Um, we have uh, a chieftain tank, we have um, Saracen uh, armoured car, we have lots of Borfers guns. So yeah, it's plenty to see and do. And importantly, when are you open? Well, uh, as from today, we are putting the battery to bed Um for the winter so that uh, the volunteers and I can catch up with quite a bit of maintenance and cleaning work that needs to be done in the museum. Um, we reopen to the public on Saturday the 1st of February 2020. Um, we are open every weekend between February and the end of November and we open extra days Mondays and Fridays um, during the summer, June, July and August. Where can people learn more about your, the battery and when it's open? So we have a website, um, it's www.yuffbattery.co.uk um, our Facebook is quite lively. Uh, that can be found at Yuff Battery. Uh, we are also on Twitter uh, at Yuff underscore Museum and Instagram Yuff Battery Museum as well. Diane, thank you very much for your time. That's no problem. Thank you very much for uh, for letting me come on. You have been listening to the Mentioned in Dispatches podcast from the Western Front Association with me, Tom Thorpe. Thank you for all my guests for appearing on this edition. The theme music for this podcast was George Butterworth's The Banks of Green Willow. It was performed by the BBC National Orchestra of Wales, conducted by Chris Russman. 
and produced by Biz Records. This recording is part of a collection of orchestral works by Butterworth performed by the BBC National Orchestra of Wales and supported by the Western Front Association. This is available from all good record stores under the record code BIS2195. Until next time. <laughs>